So, hello everyone. It's so good to see you. Um, it's so wonderful to have you with us um, and such a pleasure to speak to you all today. Um, a particularly warm welcome if you are new. We're so pleased to have you with us and would love to get to know you more. Please do stay after the service to chat to some of our lovely people here at Kingdom Vineyard. We hope you'll become part of our family. So a little bit about me. My name is Lizzie and I graduated from St Andrews University with a degree in English and Modern History in June. Currently, I'm one of the voluntary pastoral assistants here and I specialise in worship and youth work. So you'll often find me twanging and yodeling at the front of church on my guitar on a Sunday. This week, however, I'm kicking off our Advent series. When I think of Advent, I am often reminded of the year that my family baked 48 mince pies and discovered that we had eaten all but four of them by lunchtime. <laughs> we later discovered several half-eaten mince pies in the dog's bed. So not only had we been nibbling at them throughout the day, but so had she. She looked very guilty upon discovery. <laughs> However, instead of today speaking about sugar, I'm going to be talking about some of the harder things in life, such as the pain of the waiting, as we long for someone to come and help us in our suffering. In the Christian faith, this person is Jesus. And Advent is often a time that is overlooked in our modern culture, because the shops tell us it's about buying and eating as many mince pies as possible. But traditionally, it is a season of waiting in the lead up to Christmas, a day which marks Jesus' birth. We remember how those who lived before Jesus was born were longing for God to send a saviour, much like we long for God to finish his work by finally removing pain and struggling from this world. What is special about our Advent series this year is, it, is that it is focused around the beautiful work of Shin Meng, a professional artist and illustrator who is part of the KB family. A big thank you to Shin for letting us use his work as a springboard for our sermons this year. Shin has recently drawn this stunning picture entitled Deliver Us From Evil that is appearing on the screen behind me. Perhaps some of you are here today because you received a card from a friend with this image on it. I encourage you to take some time to look at it in detail. One of the things that I love about Shin's work is that the more time you spend looking at it, the more you see. There are so many layers to his work and each one reveals more about who God is as well as what the Bible says about the kind of relationship he has and wants to have with us. If you want to check out more of Shin's work, you can head to his Instagram page, at Shin Happens, and perhaps take an image and sit with it. Pray and ask God to show you things through it. I have found it an incredibly powerful exercise as I've prepared to speak to you today. And I hope that you can grow in your relationship with God by doing so. Today, I'm going to be focusing on the bottom right-hand portion of Shin's picture. In future weeks, other speakers will take you through different parts of the picture. And we'll be finishing our services um, with Shin talking to us through his work. 
So please do come along to our future services to hear more as we unpack the picture and the time of Advent. But today, I'm going to be focusing on our pain and suffering amidst the waiting with the help of Shin's work and Psalm 13. Let's take a minute just to look at the bottom right-hand corner of the picture. Allow it to speak to you. What do you see? What does it stir up in you? This corner of the picture is full of pain. There are women weeping profusely, enwrapped in their grief and suffering. They implore you to notice them from the dark corner they inhabit. Their focus is both inward on their hurt and outward in wanting you to see them and their pain. Beside them are multiple hands reaching, longing, desperate for relief amidst their agony. These are faceless, but they represent the suffering of millions, both past, present, and future. They represent the knowledge that not all is right with the world, though we continue to long for it to be right. Perhaps this part of the picture represents what some of us are feeling at the moment, struggling with the loss of a loved one, feeling betrayed by someone we trusted, experiencing months or years of clinical depression or being unjustly treated. Much like the women in this picture, the writer of Psalm 13 was experiencing a time of deep pain. The writer of this psalm was a man called David, who was likely fleeing from Saul, a man who had once been like a father to him, but who now saw him as a threat to his throne. David had retreated into the wilderness, living among caves, deserts, and places that were uncomfortable and desolate. He was in this space of waiting and fleeing and suffering for years. As a result, he writes this poem, a psalm, a prayer in which he cries out to the Lord with questions, imploring God to see him and longing for his time of pain and instability to be over. My friend Jasmine is now going to come up and read us the passage. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide my, your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day bring sorrow within my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me.
Thank you, Jasmine, for reading to us. Psalm 13 is helpful because it cuts right to the heart of the longings that so many of us have amidst our suffering. Four times David asks the Lord, how long? Four times he cries out to God from a place of despair and loneliness as he is consumed by his pain. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? These questions are unfortunately not uncommon in our human experience. Indeed, many of us have experienced them in the last 20 months of living in a pandemic. <laughs> I remember thinking in March last year that it would all be over by the end of summer. How wrong I was. For months, we've been asking the question, how long? How long will I have to stay inside? How long until I can see my friends and family again? How long until I can taste the sweet, sweet ice cream of Janetta's? <laughs> How long until I can go back to school? Or for others of us, we might be asking, how long must I wait for my appointment to investigate the lump I found? How long until my, until my severely depressed family member can get some help? How long until I can escape from my domestic abuser? How long? The pandemic has brought many things into sharp focus, such as the rising rates of mental illness, with the reports that the percentage of those suffering from mental ill health has risen by 10% to affect nearly a third of the population. Over five million people are currently waiting for hospital treatment, and many people are anxious about the changes to universal credit. Over the last two years, we've also seen a greater understanding of how deeply the depths of racism run in our society, and the pain that is caused by ongoing prejudices and corrupt systems. In all of it, so many of us are asking the question, God, where are you? How long will this last? Instead of assuming that God doesn't hear or doesn't care, David tells God how he feels, how upset and confused he is. And he says, help me. David's writing in this psalm encourages us to cry out to God in the midst of our suffering. When we're feeling forgotten and abandoned by God, when we're feeling sorrow, when we're feeling like others are getting ahead and we are falling behind, allow yourself to grieve and ask God, how long? In doing so, we are simply being real with God. I think sometimes we feel we've got to have it all together before we can have the courage to speak to him. But that's not how God works. He already knows. By choosing to talk with God, to be real with him, 
we're inviting him into the space of our hearts where our real needs, fears, and hopes reside. By acknowledging that we are hurting and calling on him in that time, we are building relationship with him. We are allowing ourselves to entrust our hurt to him. In the psalm, David does this, and in doing so, he entrusts his hurt to God because he knows that God is listening. God wants to hear him, and God wants to walk with him through his pain. I know that it is often only the people that I feel closest to that I can properly express my anger, frustration, and sadness to my British stiff upper lip and desire to keep calm and carry on all falls away when I'm surrounded by people who love me no matter what. With them, I can be real. Let my guard down and say, life sucks. And I'm finding this really hard. And they sit and they hold me and they comfort me. God wants to do that too. He wants to be as real to me as these friends and even more so. The Bible describes a God who wants to hem you in behind and before as a mother hen who wants to gather her chicks under her wings and as our refuge during our times of distress. Several years ago, I had a terrible phone conversation with someone in which I did the classic poor communication and conflict faux pas. I used blanket statements with accusations like, you always do this, you never do that, and completely blindsided this person because they weren't expecting it at all, having not seen me for several months. It was awful, really not my finest moment. And it ended really badly. And for months afterwards, I wrestled with the guilt of the pain that I had caused to this person. To the point that my housemates had to scrape me off the kitchen floor on several occasions when I had become a soggy mess. It also scared me that I had it in me to be that mean. And I hated that I had hurt someone I loved so deeply. And so after months of this continuous cycle of guilt and self-loathing, I asked my mum if she could do some healing prayer with me. Healing prayer involves asking Jesus to come into a difficult memory and see what he does. So I asked Jesus in. I relived sitting in my chair whilst I was in the middle of my angry tirade. And Jesus quietly came into the room and tapped my shoulder, causing me to stop saying half of the terrible things I did. He then sat on the bed, let me curl into his lap, and hugged me, whilst rocking me back and forth, saying, my child, my child, my child. Jesus' actions didn't heal that relationship or undo all the things I had said. Instead, Jesus met me in my pain and guilt and held me. He knew that what I needed 
was to simply know him with me as I continued to wrestle with grief and to show me that I was loved. You might be experiencing guilt over something you did or said. Or you might be wrestling with things that others have said or done over you that have weighed you down for a long time. Jesus never wants us to walk alone through this. And he wants to walk with us in that valley. I invite you to simply be real with him. Tell him how it is. He's a wonderful listener. He wants to sit with you, with each of us, as we wrestle. Indeed, one of Jesus' names, Emmanuel, is translated as God with us. He wants to be with you, with me, with us. In all the mess and pain and suffering, he wants to be with each of us. All you have to do is be real with him and ask. Whether you call yourself a Christian or haven't tried praying in years or ever, God wants to talk to you. The psalm writer David then moves to a place of imploring God to see him, saying, look on me and answer, Lord, my God. He's not saying, please, please, please see me. Instead, he demands that God looks on him and sees him. This is not a polite request. Instead, it implies someone who has come to the end of their tether. He might be angry towards God, but he is also in a place of desperation. He cries out to the Lord, wanting to be seen in the midst of his suffering that has been going on for years. He then goes on to offer an emotional response of despair in which he believes all things will never get better and all is lost. The mark of someone who is in such a deep pit of despair that he can't see a way out. He says, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I know friends and family who have felt so lost in the dark cloud of depression that they can't see a way out. They have felt forgotten by God and without hope. They have felt that this long-term suffering is going to be their story forever. In the Old Testament, we see the Israelites despair when they fled the Egyptians. Having served them for over 400 years, All they had known was pain and suffering for generations. When God led them out of Egypt to the Red Sea, they felt trapped by the sea and couldn't see a way forward. They blamed Moses, saying, What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. The Israelites were so wrapped up in the suffering of generations that they struggled to see how God would free them when they encountered a difficulty in their escape. They preferred to return to the suffering they knew and remain trapped there because they couldn't see where God was leading them. 
God was, in fact, leading them out of a place of generational suffering and into new life. Perhaps some of us are in a situation where there is no immediate fix or change of situation, where we've been living with the same pain, be that physical, emotional, mental or relational, for years. Perhaps all we need is for God to give us a little hope, little and often. To remind us that this suffering we are experiencing whilst we wait for resolution is not something that has to define us. The God I know offers help within our despair, ease within our pain, and hope when we are at the end of our tether. When my grandma was in her final years, she suffered from dementia. There was no quick fix. She wasn't ever going to get better. She was only going to decline. And gradually, she forgot more and more of her life and was frequently in distress in new situations. It was really hard to watch, to hear her ask the same questions over and over again. So, me and my family would pray for her, and we would also pray for patience, little and often. Lord, grant me the patience to love Granny well today. And some days we would see glimmers of her old self. Whether that was when she came round to dinner with us on Tuesdays, curry night in the Winfrey household, <laughs> and we sat round the table roaring with laughter, or watching her sing her heart out at a local singing group. These were small blessings in the midst of all the difficulty. And in those moments, my relationship with God got a little deeper because I wanted his help and guidance, and it was given. All I was doing was inviting him into a difficult situation that seemed never-ending. And he met me there, in the mess and the pain and the waiting. He met me there. Where do you need to invite God to meet you? In your depression? In your relationship with a difficult member of your family? in the pain of your arthritis. Whatever it is, and wherever you are, invite God in. He wants to meet with you. Towards the end of the psalm, David's tone shifts. Where before he's been crying out to God, he now enters into worship of him. It is as if through vulnerably naming his pain and fear before God, his posture towards despair is changed. He says, but I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. David's reaction here might grate against what's expected. How can he be experiencing such suffering and yet still want to worship God? Surely a God who allowed him to experience this pain is not good. Why should David worship him? But we have seen throughout this psalm that David is crying out to God because he expects to hear from him and be comforted by him. 
This is not a God who is distant and oblivious to our pain, but one who wants to enter into that pain and be with us. By turning to worship as his final act in this psalm, David is allowing himself the opportunity to refocus, to move out of that place of inward pain towards one that focuses on God. And that worship is transformational. It's one of the reasons that we, as a church, value worship so much. Because when we choose to come with all our baggage and mess each week, and yet stand and worship the God of the universe, the Prince of Peace, our hearts and minds are refocused, and our lives are transformed. I can't tell you the number of times I've reluctantly dragged my heels to church, only to find that what I needed in that moment was not to wallow in my pain, but to worship God. I know it sounds strange, but all I can tell you is what I know from my own experience, that worship changes us. By choosing to worship, we are saying to God, I trust you. I choose to be with you and to surrender to you. Even though the world is telling me to surrender to other things, I choose in this moment to be with you. In that space of surrender, God meets us, loves us, and transforms us with his love, care, and healing. Advent offers us the chance to refocus, to acknowledge our pain and suffering no matter how long-standing, and to invite God in. God's ultimate mark of how much he wants to be with us is found in Jesus. Jesus, who was born as a refugee in a dirty stable. Jesus, who was born in the middle of an infanticide, fulfilling the words of the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. He understands mess and pain. He wants to be with us as we grieve and offer us hope again. He wants to transform us from the women in the bottom right-hand corner of Shin's picture to those on the bottom left, whose tears of mourning have been turned into tears of joy, whose gaze is outward upon Jesus rather than inward who choose to worship even in the midst of their pain. I want to offer you the chance to respond to what's been said today. Perhaps you need the chance to be real with God, to ask him to see your pain and be with you in that. Or maybe you feel like you're at the end of your tether, You need him to come in and give you hope again. All you have to do is ask. Or maybe you need the chance to refocus, to set your eyes on Jesus once again. Or perhaps you're someone who's never prayed and have no idea what that looks like. 
that's okay. But can I encourage you today to try? Prayer is simply talking to God and listening to what he has to say. It's a conversation. So perhaps you can ask God about something or tell him something. He loves to listen to us when we talk to him. However, I'd also love to offer us the chance to read through the psalm together. So can I invite you to stand and we're going to say it as a corporate prayer. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me.